And now, right to your hosts of Down the Garden Path, Joanne Shaw and Matthew Dressing. while doing our very best to help you seasonally manage your garden and landscape. I am Joanne Shaw, owner of Down to Earth Landscape Design. And with me once again is my co-host, Matthew Dressing. Hello, Matthew. Hello, Joanne, and good evening, everyone. And thank you for joining us. I'm Matthew Dressing, owner of Natural Affinity Garden Design. As a landscape designers and gardeners, we believe it is important and possible to have great gardens, which are sustainable and low maintenance. And we want to help you make it happen. That's right. And we're so happy that you're listening to us tonight. Uh, we are continuing to take our deep dive into some of the most popular landscape shrubs, which grace the nursery benches and our gardens. And uh, our shrub month tonight, we, were, we are going to look at the many colorful nine barks. There are multiple seasons of interest and the different cultivars which fit perfectly in any garden. So if you'd like to join the conversation or have a question about Nine Barks, we'd love to hear from you. Please send your questions to instudio101 at gmail.com. That is right. That is right. Nine Barks, a uh, very colorful, colorful group. Uh, mm -hmm. I love them. Very popular at the Garden Center. Great for their beautiful, colorful foliage, uh, as well as... Not so much known for their little white button flowers in June or early summer. Uh, and then as well as, again, from that exfoliating bark as the stems mature, revealing the nine different shades of taupes and cinnamons and reds and browns and on the matures. And that's where I've always heard that they get the name nine bark. Oh, really? Okay. I don't know how far back or how true that is, but yep. I, it makes sense to me. <laughs> Um, so like the other shrubs we were talking about uh, this month, if you don't know, uh, the nine barks that we're going to see for their genus and species are Physocarpus opulifolius. So Physocarpus opulifolius. Uh, Physocarpus meaning uh, from the Greek physa or fusa, meaning bladder for the, and carpos for the fruit. Again, those little seed pods being descript, or described. And then opulifolius uh, coming from the leaves that look like uh, viburnum, for referring to viburnum opulus. Uh, so okay. opulifolius, viburnum leaves like that. Okay. So there are a lot of exciting cultivars uh, that you and I are going to talk about, mm -hmm. uh, their importance and uh, all sorts of stuff. That's right. And I think I want to focus, you I mean, we, the last two weeks, we talked a lot about, well, we talked all about hydrangeas, right? Which are primarily mm -hmm. grown for their flower and their longevity yeah. of the flower, with the exception of probably the, the oak leaf hydrangea, which has a bit of interest in their foliage. But really, you know, people put hydrangeas in their garden because they want the wow of the flower. And I think it's almost, it's kind of funny that we chose nine barks to follow because <laughs> I don't think people choose, I mean, it's fact that it flowers is a bonus, you know, it's mm. a whatever. Um, but really, I think even when I'm designing, I'm putting in, um, nine barks of different shades of different colors 
uh, just to add that texture and that, um, you know, to break up the green because everything, even though everything blooms, there's so many shrubs that have flowers, but they're green, you know, so it is really important, I think, um, especially in evergreens are very green, you know, obviously green, um, except when they're blue and yellow, but you know, (laughs) (laughs) I think, you know, foliage color is a, a third, like a really key thing in the gardens. And um, in the last few years, we've seen an introduction of many different ones and many different colors and shades of color. And I think that's really exciting. So I think it's I think there's something there for everybody, don't you? I agree. And like you, I am never designing with the nine bark for their primary interest being the flowers. Right. Foliage is is diverse. Uh, there's different shapes, different uh, colors and sizes of those leaves. They add such a great interest visually with their foliage uh, mm-hmm. as their main thing. Yeah. yeah. And they're, go ahead. Oh, oh and their shape, like you said, because they, some of them, the, some of the taller ones have a really cool arching shape to them, which mm. is also a really neat feature. Yes, yes, exactly. You can get the upright and the nice arching, or you can get a little bit more rounded uh, when you get into some of the dwarf ones. Uh, or very upright and almost vase shape or grass like mm-hmm. when I think of like uh, a young little devil or or something like that. Yeah. And then, yes, like you said, there are always lots and lots of new cultivars and they're always improving mm-hmm. uh, some of the nine parks as well. Um, yeah. So let's talk about the growing conditions, Matt. Like, are they, is it a full sun? Is it a shade? You know, will they grow in the shade kind of? Let's start yeah, there. yeah. So conditions, uh, they do prefer a full sun to partial shade. I have seen some that are in a very bright uh, full shade or or dappled shade, uh, but they tend to be thinner and you start to lose some of the color. So as we're talking about colors, I think maybe you touched on it uh, and maybe I just, I missed it as my pen was dying to write down our listeners' questions and names. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but our foliage that we see uh, are mainly burgundies, stark burgundies, purples, uh, and yellows with a little bit of green in them. Uh, so what happens is in the in the lower light conditions, uh, I've seen them become thin, but I've also seen them lose their color. So they'll convert their color into a darker green or a lighter green, depending on who it is, uh, mm-hmm. just to gather some more of that light energy. But they're going to do best in full sun uh, to partial shade. They're very quick growing uh, as well. Uh, zones two through nine, so you can get these in some nice, cool climates. Uh, and they're also native to Central and Eastern North America. So another North American uh, native plant to talk about. Uh, when transplanting from the pots into the garden or moving them around, uh, they transplant very easily. They're very quick growing. They're adaptable to be moved around. And they're very adaptable to a number of conditions. Uh, so if you've got very dry or, or uh, rough conditions, acidic or alkaline, those types of things, they will adapt uh, quite a bit. But they do just kind of like that average to moist soil, uh, nice loam, but very like a nice well-drained as well. Okay. That's good. And they do flower and they do flower fairly early. Like I would say kind of more the end of May, beginning of June. Yeah. Yeah. Like a late spring, early summer kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So small button like clusters, white to pinkish white flowers. Again, like you said, late spring, 
uh, through and into early summer or midsummer, and that can depend on the cultivar as well. Some will bloom a little later and a little earlier, so they do have uh, that range. And then, as we were saying in the the original the Physocarpus part of the name, a number of the cultivars will leave behind those interesting pink or red seed pods uh, after the flowering is complete. Uh, I was uh, leaving work today and I saw Amber Jubilee, uh, which is uh, one of the, my favorite ones, just because you get those beautiful amber copper, almost translucent like leaves uh, when they're in the full sun, but she'd flowered and uh, Amber left behind some nice uh, medium or red seed pods on the tops of her. So it almost looked like she had like little berries or, or something there uh, as well. Yeah, it really, and they're not fragile. Like they, they hang around and they're, they really are, you know, like, like lots of things that hang around, like the flower or the past seed head, you know, but it's, you know, if you touch it or you move it or you bump into it, you know, everything falls or whatever, but these are actually pretty, pretty secure. Like you almost, and I've often had people say to me, think that that is the flower like even though the white you know like the little white or the pink is gone but that little droop I almost want to call it a droop is like is that the yeah some of them will get okay quite wide and start to droop and then some of them if they're smaller are a little clustered and more upright but yeah 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 but they are substantial so they really do add a really neat interest in the garden for a long period of time because mine has stopped blooming I have summer wine um, which is a really nice, a bigger variety, and it's got a really nice cascade to it. And uh, it definitely has held on to its flower, or its seed heads. I also have, um, I don't know, I think it's, I don't know if I have tiny wine or little devil, but I have the dwarf one and it has not. So whatever, or I may have trimmed them off. So one or the other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And again, not everyone will be as profuse. And I think some of the new dwarf cultivars um, don't get them left behind as as readily as some of the other ones or some of the, the bigger ones. We do have a couple of questions that have, have just come in. Um, Brad has written in, uh, whoa, Matthew, the name sounds too medical. Ouch. Uh, love the show. Obviously, these are perennial shrubs, correct, and not potted. Uh, and yes, Brad, you are correct. So like our hydrangeas and the Wigilias we'll talk about next week, they're all perennials, hardy from zone uh, two to nine. Uh, so yes, they're definitely perennials. And depending on where you are, again, if you're in a little bit warmer and you have someone that's, uh, you know, hardy to zone two, uh, someone like Diablo nine bark or, or the native species, uh, you could possibly overwinter it in a large container. Like we were talking about with your hydrangeas last week, uh, mm-hmm. where we had, you can get a couple years out of them before they really want to be in the ground or, or something. Okay. So would we consider, well, they're perennial, but they're, it's not, it is a shrub. It's not, it's like a, it's a woody shrub, not a perennial. Like it's a sense that it does come up every year, perennial Brad, but it's, it's not a, it's not a perennial that to me, they die down to the ground and come back up again. So this is more like a woody shrub. Yeah. So shrubs, trees and shrubs, they're the woody ones. Um, or woody perennials, and then the soft perennials are just as perennials. Uh, you'll also see them called herbaceous perennials versus woody perennials, ones that have wood and ones that do not have woods, uh, wood or herbaceous as being soft, fleshy foliage. So yes, these are woody perennials uh, or just shrubs, things that are going to not die back to the ground, but they are deciduous. They're not evergreen. 
Uh, and the evergreen or the winter interest for it, from example, is again that nine bark. So as you get some of those older stems as they reach that kind of, uh, you know, three quarters to an inch wide, they'll start exfoliating their bark uh, in strips. And they tend to have a nice, uh, as well as their overall habit, which I think also adds greatly to the winter um, interest as well. They'll also have some of those larger woody stems that exfoliate. Okay. okay. Yeah. Right. Um, John has written in, hello, can I still plant nine bark shrubs right now? Are they available? I live here in the GTA. Uh, when planting sun or shade, thanks for all the information and tips. Uh, well, you're very welcome, John. And yes, you can still find uh, a number of nine barks uh, still out in your local garden uh, center right now. I know I have, quickly counting off the top of my head, I think seven different cultivars uh, in stock right now here in the GTA. When planting, they do prefer a full sun to a partial shade with the full sun giving you the brightest uh, or bringing out the most color. So I would I would try to do full sun uh, as best you can, but if you get into the partial shade, that's fine. And then as we were saying earlier, if you get into the full shade, you become really thin, lanky, and you start to lose some of those purples. Uh, the yellows kind of go green as she looks for more sunlight. Yeah. Oh, okay. Thank you for writing in. Yes. Yeah. So uh, Donna missed when your definition of why these shrubs are called nine bark. He was distracted when uh, when you were explaining the definition of the name. Can you repeat it? So that's kind of neat. I didn't know that, but the, go ahead. Oh yeah. Uh, so it was sorry. It was it was uh, Don. Yes, Don. Uh, so physocarpus from the Greek fusa or physa meaning bladder and carpos meaning fruit, so a bladder-shaped fruit. Uh, and they just, they kind of look like a small rounded, yeah, bladder or, or like in like quarters uh, that get hung in the cluster where the flowers were. And then opulifolius, uh, meaning having leaves uh, like or similar to uh, the plant viburnum opulis, which is a, another genus and species of plants. Uh, so the leaves are usually uh, two to five lobed, um, Usually about one to three inches long, uh, half to uh, half or equal in width. So the length, if they're like three inches long, they usually are about one and a half inches wide. So the width is usually half the length of the overall leaf. Depending, and that can also vary uh, depending on the cultivar as well. And they can be up to three to five times lobed. So the bigger ones tend to have uh, more lobes. Some of the smaller ones, like Little Devil, tend to be a little bit more serrated or very lightly lobed, not really overly uh, noticeable at all, or if at all, lobed. Right. Okay. Yeah. I, I, well, else, but I think he was referring to the nine bark part, like so nine. Oh, that, that... <laughs> okay. So the nine <laughs> I bark think, part. I don't know. I'm just interpreting, Don. But yes. Yeah, so that. For sure. And why don't I? I didn't know that exfoliated the bark, but and not and you said nine shades. Yeah, and then I just, I have heard it as it's nine bark, because as it exfoliates, there are nine, quote unquote, nine different shades. You can see the different cinnamons and taupes and browns and reds okay. and whites and all those different colors that come as it, come as it matures. Yeah, right. You just get the different layers of exfoliation. So that's okay. probably more where the nine comes from than the versus the color. But that, that's how I've heard it. So okay. if you've heard it somewhere else or no, no, yeah, I, I have I have no, I'd never heard that. But yeah, when we, if we go back to the um or um the native, so is Diablo because Diablo is kind of like the old old fashioned one. Is Diablo native or is that a cultivar of the native? The first yeah. cultivar. 
That's one of the more beginning cultivars of, okay. of the native one, right? Okay. Our native being okay. just that opulifolius. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. Um, so what about the sizes? So we've talked about some of the sizes and the habits. So that upright arching, uh, some of the cultivars are a little bit more mounded. So just overall in appearance is kind of broadly maybe looking at the cultivars before we jump in. Um, you can see different sizes of the cultivars varying anywhere from about uh, two to two and a half to six and a half uh, feet tall and wide and being an average. Uh, the species reaches about five to 10 feet tall and about six to 10 feet tall. But again, if you're further north or further south, this can vary depending on where you are and, and local conditions. Um, so yeah, so uh, again, just very upright, rounded, uh, arching or vase-shaped depending on, on the cultivar. The young branches are often red or reddish brown in appearance. And then the old stems are become thick and exfoliating. So they start to lose some of that red and reddish brown. They become a little bit more papery in appearance. And then they start to uh, shed. And, and I always kind of think of like a paper bark maple. Um, Easter grissom or, you know, the uh, just Butella papyrifera, the, the white birch, uh, where they just kind of exfoliate uh, that bark. So stems can be upright, spreading, arching, uh, giving that nice rounded, dense uh, foliage and or dense appearance. And the foliage tends to be fairly dense in full sun as well. So it's not a very thin shrub you're gonna be able to look through when they're nice and mature. The foliage is nicely alternately held uh, and, and very tightly compact uh, as well. So there's not a lot of space so you can look through. So you can get some good privacy mm -hmm. uh, or a division. They would make a good hedge, wouldn't they? They would make a great hedge, yes. Very mm -hmm. quick growing again. Uh, so you easily to prune and keep shaped and they fill in uh, very, very quickly. I had one down the street. Uh, a lady used it just to privacy on her corner. Every few years, she'd chop it down to the ground first thing in the spring, and she'd be back up to, I think it was more like uh, Diablo, where she was hitting that five to six feet again every single year. Mm, yeah. Okay. Okay. Was she cutting it every year? No, no. Every, no, no like, every few years, yeah. Every few years, every like three or four years, just it got so big. I think she mm -hmm. had someone like Diablo who was like six and a half, mm -hmm. seven feet tall and wide and just mm -hmm. that little corner on her fence. Yeah. So she kind of pruned it to get out of the way of the sidewalk, but, yeah. but she'd always pop straight back up really quickly. Mm -hmm. So we could talk about some of the colors. So certainly the most common I think is, is the old fashioned Diablo. Um, right. So it's a burgundy color and tall and arching. Um, and with it has come like uh, Copertina and summer wine, kind of the same coloring, but slightly different shapes, right? Yes. Yeah, that's right. Nice, dark, deep uh, crimson purples or crimson red foliage, depending on on who you get. Purple is definitely one of the, I think, I would probably say even the more predominant color and then mm -hmm. moving into like the purple reds or like the coppertinas or the ginger wine, you get into some strong coppery reds or yeah. coppers as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, and yeah. So I think it goes red to kind of yellows to kind of like a marmalade like more of um or sorry copper like red burgundy red copper to kind of some yellow varieties so that's kind of you know there's no white there's no variegated as far as i know 
No, neither have I. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, so if you think about that in the garden, there's not a ton, you know, Wajilia, wine, Wajilia, wine and roses, Wajilia, which is the Burgundy, which we're going to talk about Wajilia's next week. Um, some of the Barberries, but not everybody loves the thorns that bring Barberries bring to the table or to the garden. Uh, so really, you know, there really is a place for that Burgundy color. Uh, and I think, but then I think when it goes to those amber ones or the ginger wine, like that's kind of a really cool color. Like there's not a lot, right? No, especially. And again, like I said, like Amber Jubilee is definitely one of my favorite. Those, uh, those ambers and those copper colors, they're so bright and different in the landscape. I, in the heat of the moment, as we talk right now, I can't think of another one that has anything close to uh, Amber Jubilee's bright color. Maybe Ginger Wine, again, another nine bark. Yeah. Uh, but glowing, glowing tones of oranges, yellows, and golds uh, as they come out and they emerge in through the uh, spring and early summer. She's still very much more of a, a darker uh, ginger color at the moment. And then as she moves into the fall, uh, she gets highlighted with reds and purple tones uh, through the fall. And again, delicate white flower buttons in the spring, uh, but unparalleled color and very bright, especially if you can get some full sun behind it uh, or as like the sun sets or it kind of comes through. Amber Jubilee or ginger wine uh, really tend to glow uh, in, in the landscape. They let that light through and that color mm. really brightens, which is really neat. That's so that's what I like about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. That's great. So yeah, I, I really think, and I think sizes too. So then I also yeah. have um, little, so it looks like little devil has the pink flowers and tiny wine has the white flowers. So I def, Oh no, no, I'm wrong. looks like um, little devil has the white flowers. So I have little devil and um, I do have it kind of as a hedge and it certainly isn't. So I, it's kind of like you mentioned, it's not getting as much sun as I, it should. Um, just the plants around it now have grown up kind of thing. It's still not green. It's certainly not the deep burgundy color, but I think it still works. So, you know, when we say that it needs full sun to part shade, the plant will still live with less sun. Um, it's just the foliage color, right? So, uh, you know, whereas, you know, there's so many full sun things that just won't even live in the shade. So, you know, if it, it's, it's a good plant because it can, I think it's fairly adaptable because your garden's going to change. Agreed. Yes. And exactly. When we're talking full shade, it's not going to flat out die. It's just, it's just a color thing as the shade, mm-hmm. the more shaded. And it's, it's like, if you go into a deep burgundy bush and you find, you know, the centers tend to be burgundy but they're a little bit more green in that burgundy instead it's not that she's going to die or anything like that yeah yeah, yeah. Mm, okay um so henry's written in and he's asking if we need a lot of pruning and maintenance with these shrubs no not really um if you have any issues i mean you can shear them like we were saying you can make them a hedge uh, I have a client of mine and shears them into a, a beautiful round ball i believe they have a, a uh, Diablo nine bark. They like to prune it and it looks quite nice and filled. 
so that's not bad. The only thing that you really need to do if the appearance ever becomes really ragged uh, or rough looking because it gets old, maybe it's got some really thick older stems, you can always remove a third of the oldest stems. Or if you really need to, you can rejuvenate prune them. So you can hack them literally just straight to the ground, eight to 12 inches. Uh, and in late winter, so like end of February, beginning of March, and as she wakes up again in the spring, again, very fast growing, she will differentiate and fill in again quite nicely for the rest of the year. Outside of that, um, and I think it was Henry who wrote in that question, uh, yeah, you basically are just enjoying. There is one other point of maintenance that you and I wanted to talk about. Yes, yeah. And Which we can't, we have to mention. We've got to mention, we've got to mention. As much as we love nine barks and we love them to pieces, Oh, they do come with powdery mildew. And I don't say they come with powdery mildew as in your guaranteed powdery mildew. Mm -hmm. but they are susceptible to powdery mildew. So if you're not familiar, powdery mildew is that light white film or very bright white film uh, on the nine barks. It can get very thick looking um, with the texture of that leaf. It's kind of ruffled uh, on that lobed leaf. It looks very thick in those ruffles. But when you've got an older or more mature uh, clump with very low air circulation or you end up watering the leaves or like this year for us it's humid and hazy uh, you'll get that powdery mildew just sets in uh, into the, the areas that there's a very low air circulation so you will get some powdery mildew mm -hmm. at one point in the life it's more cosmetic unless you let it take over the entire shrub for uh, like two or three years that'll stress her out and then something will get her. But you'll probably have seen it if you've got one, if our listeners have one. Oh, that's what that is, maybe. Uh, yeah. That's that's what's going on. And you can use just a, a general garden fungicide, fungicide or like a defender from Safers or Green Earth's garden fungicide or a garden sulfur. And you can kill it. You can pick off some of the leaves. Just be careful not to. Don't take more than a third. And be careful not to touch other leaves or stems mm -hmm. if you decide to pick them. Because uh, you will spread the spores that are sitting there that you can't see. Mm -hmm. uh, but it is it is something that you, yeah, we do have to mention. That you will get powdery mildew most Yeah, of I mean, it is a nuisance. I mean, peonies get them. There's some of the perennials that are common to get it. You know, so it's not... I don't think it's, um, you know, I don't think it should prevent you. If you've got a spot in your garden, that color foliage and that shape and interest is worth it. Um, yeah, just know oh, yeah. that, you know, you do need to give it a little bit more space. You do need to consider, you know, just, you know, putting a watering by a sprinkler and having the leaves, you know, covered uh, for sure. I mean, I do have it in my, and but they're across the path from each other. So I have it in my, my summer wine, which is a little bit bigger than, uh, my, um, my shorter little devils don't have it. So it doesn't travel that far. It certainly doesn't affect other plants in your garden. Um, you can cut it out, but the same thing, like if once you cut it and snip it, you know, you, the spores kind of go. Um, so I did, um, then in the winter, they kind of go black, Matt, like mine, is that typical as well? So, um, if it look, yeah, they go black. What do you mean? They go black. Well, in the winter, like after it's lost all its leaves and all you see is, is, um, branches, um, where the poly, where the, where the mildew was on those branches, I found the go black. So then I was kind of snipping, you know, those cutting those out. Yeah. Those are probably where it was nice and heavy and it's probably killed that young little stem for sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. She's blanketed mm -hmm. it out and starved her yeah. and yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I think they're trying to make the young, the new varieties a little bit more. And I think they have, like I said, my little devil seems to be a little bit more um, uh, resistant, but there's certainly no guarantee. So, I mean, there's no guarantee with anything. Like I think every shrub has a bit of an issue. You know, we talked about hydrangeas and the different bloom times and the different issues uh, although they don't have a ton of issues, but, uh, you know, they do have a few and then nine marks have, have that little downside to them. But I still think that having one or two in your garden uh, is really valuable. I love the door for varieties. So little devil, tiny wine. I love, um, because like I said, the, the, you know, gotta love, uh, like a nice, um, Barbary for the fact that it's something small and burgundy and interesting and yellow too in a garden, but the fact that they come with thorns, you know, not everybody likes that, you know, some people don't mind because roses have thorns and people love roses, but, uh, um, so yeah, so I think nine bark is really go- has a place. Um, I love, you know, me, I love me a good sh- hedge. So anything that I can make into a hedge is also lovely. Um, so yeah, so I, I just really think, uh, they're, they're a really neat addition to any garden. I agree. I agree. And as I'm going to just pause and do our little mid-episode break, and then we'll jump into some of those cultivars and answer a few more guest questions. Uh, But yeah, thank you very much for joining us here live on Reality Radio 101. Mm -hmm. I'm Matthew Dressing here with my co-host, Joanne Shaw, and you're listening to Down the Garden Path. Joanne and I enjoy hosting Down the Garden Path each week, bringing you interesting and relevant topics to help you achieve a great garden. We learn right along with you from our research and from the guests that join us here on the show. Spend more time with us Down the Garden Path. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Our handle is at Down the Garden Path Podcast. You can also find us on your favorite podcast provider. And while you're there, please hit that subscribe button to be notified of new content. And please don't forget to like, share, and leave us a comment. We love hearing from all of our wonderful listeners. Whether you're tuning in live or you're strictly a podcast listener, uh, we would love to hear you say hi. And you can always write us here at instudio101 at gmail.com. Again, instudio101 at gmail.com while we're live uh, or you can write us when we're off the air and Gary our wonderful producer always forwards our mail to us you can also visit us via our websites you can find Joanne at down the number to earth.ca and you can find myself at www.naturalaffinity.ca so we have a couple questions uh, and Joanne writes in man those names are very scary uh are these shrubs very expensive they sound it thanks and as uh expensive as they sound uh they're not joanne they're actually uh average prices pretty much with all your other your shrubs you're going to find them in uh usually two three and five gallons at least at my place probably the average size uh and again depending on the cultivar and the size of that container uh we have them anywhere from about 24.99 to about $49 or $59.99. The bigger ones being like a five gallon. She's like four feet tall. Canadian, right? We don't want to scare our Americans. <laughs> our American and, and that's from. Canadian. And that's Canadian yeah. dollars. Canadian <laughs> dollars. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Because Joanne, I don't know where you are from. So yeah. yes. And that's Canadian dollars. So yeah, very uh, uh, reasonably priced, I think. Uh, and, and nicely popular as well. Yeah. So thank you very much for that question, Joanne. 
Uh, Madden is written in. Hello, loyal listener here to your radio show. Yes, I think Joanne and I both recognize uh, Madden there and the uh, in your name from. Do you know a bit about these varieties of Nine Fark, Little Devil, uh, or may be called Donna May? Mm-hmm. Uh, love the uh, love these plants. Donna May, I have not heard of. Have you? Is well, it, a- it is the same. Yeah, that's a different. I don't know why it has a name. It has two names. So it's it is Little Devil, and then its botanical name is <gasps> Donna May. Do you see yes, that? you're correct. Yeah, yes, yeah. Yes, because so- I look in my book here. Yeah. So Matt, that's what I have. That's what I've used in a lot of my designs is I do use the smaller variety. Not everybody has room for the bigger one uh, in many of the gardens that I, that I design. So definitely I'd rather put like three little devils in than one big, you know, one big one. Um, So, you know, but sometimes, sometimes not the case. Sometimes if, um, you know, especially people who want, even though I don't like, like narrow, like long and, and narrow gardens, like not very deep, um, but sometimes just space just limits you, right? And you can't, mm-hmm. you kind of can't do a group of three or you can't have a bit more, you know, plants, and lower plants in front of bigger plants. So then in that case, I would use like a bigger one because I think it breaks up the whole, um, I'm not fond of everything being lined up like soldiers. So I feel like yeah. then I would give, you know, put in uh, a shrub like that, that has a bit more softness to it and a bit more um, interest, visual interest. So, yeah, but yeah, I mean, mm. I think they're great. Um, I, I prune, I pruned it very hard. Um, I've, you know, uh, yeah, I, I think, I think they, uh, they work really well in a garden. Yeah. Little devil's definitely one of my favorites, especially visually. I like that softer texture, those smaller leaves. Um, yes. And thank you, Madden. And thank you, Joanne. Um, I have always just called her little devil. Uh, but yes, she is, um, a physocarpus, a physocarpus opulifolis Donna May. Uh, so I just call her Little Devil. But so just for our listeners who maybe uh, aren't familiar with her, she's full sun, uh, zone three through seven. Uh, she's going to be about three feet by three feet and a little taller. Uh, so usually three and three and a half by three, three and a half. Uh, and she's got button like white, pink and June foliage uh, for flowers. And then she has a nice uh, dark burgundy leaf, but it's fairly small compared to a lot of the other ones. As they mm-hmm. mature lower down, they get a, a bit bigger, but again, closer to like a, almost about an inch. And then on the upper foliage or the newer growth, they can be much, much smaller than that half inch. Uh, I've even seen it just again when they're coming out, they can stay very small on some of the tips uh, as well. So that's that's who um, your little devil is because we keep mentioning little devil. So just to kind of give you that picture. Uh, mm-hmm. but thank you again, Madden, for uh, the wonderful question. Um, Let's see. So Pam has written in. Mm. Um, she says she's our favorite listener. Does she get a prize? That's cute. Um, can you just grow one of these shrubs or do you need to plant them in a row with several? Thank you. Um, I, I mean, I think it depends on your garden. I have one. It's kind of cool. I have I have, well, on one side of my garden, I do have one. I have the summer wine that's kind of uh, weepy and cascady. And it's actually now, Matt, cascading over top of my um, cascading weeping larch. So it's oh. kind of an interesting look. I've, if you look, I'm sure I've, I know I've posted it on Instagram because it's a, a cool photo, especially in the fall when the, uh, my, um, if you look back through my history on Instagram, um, when my uh, larch is turning yellow, then that burgundy arching over it looks very cool. So it's a really interesting 
for me, it's a real focal point interest in one area of my garden. But across from that, I have three little uh, three little devils in a row, Pam. So, and I've made, you know, kind of as you turn a corner, I've made them a little hedge and I've done that in other people's gardens. But I, I um, have another spot under under a tree where I've actually, they're still in a pot. I have, a, I have a, another summer wine and a, and a darts gold in a pot kind of stuck in the garden um, just to see if I like it there, you know, and kind of this weird, I haven't been able to figure out the right thing, you know, perennials are, it's like, I can't have something big because it's near my Dawn Redwood. So I can't have something big, but yet I can't have something like just perennials because I'll get lost. So I think that's what makes them so great is that you can tuck them in those individual interesting spots. And, um, but I don't, I don't think it's one way or the other. I think it's a very versatile shrub. I agree. I agree completely. That was a long answer, Pam. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's like, shh, no, that's right. a great, no, a great answer. Yes. I, I think you've, you've uh, covered it all. Most certainly. Uh, our next question. Uh, oh, oh, if I uh, can actually keep the screen open, uh, comes from Andrew. Uh, and Andrew asks, are these shrubs a native to Canada? And yes, they are. They are native um, to central and Eastern North America. Uh, all up the central and and over to the east coast as well. So in through Canada uh, and the uh, northeastern United States as well. Yes. So, so would you? So like let's. But okay. Are yeah. they really like the cultivars native, or is it like is it still okay to say native? Because I know there's the native native extremists, like people who really want the the native, the hybrid versus the cultivar. I I, I just don't want to get. In trouble. Yeah, no, no. Yeah. So we call them or we'll call them that's where the term like nativars come from. Okay. Right. So they end up either being a crossbred or because um as far as propagation goes, uh the seeds germinate very easily for nine bark. So you get good pollination and very easy germination of the seeds. So what happens is you can get these naturally occurring varieties like a smaller Diablo or, you know, Diablo mutates and there's an amber version of Diablo. So then when we propagate these by taking cuttings, because they won't usually go back true to seed, these varieties, um, we call them, they become cultivars, cultivated varieties. Uh, so they're more nativars. So they're cultivated varieties of our native species. Uh, so they're native in that way that their original parents or their species evolved here and grew here. And then we are cultivating the native varieties that have appeared through either crossbreeding by man or ones that we've scouted and found in, out in nature and continued to propagate that way. Okay. And propagation brings us, that's a great thing that you brought that up because Peter has asked um, that he has a question about propagation of nine barks. Someone told me that it takes a year to do so. Is that true? I cannot find uh, any information online about that time frame. Yeah. So um, I have heard they're closer to about six to eight weeks. They can be a little slow. Um, but what you want to do for propagation is uh, you're going to take softwood cuttings in the summer. So from this new year's growth, no wood. Uh, you can root them very easily. Uh, they root best actually in like a sandy uh, or a peat-based soil, like a, a cactus mix with maybe uh, a little bit of uh, peat moss mixed in. Or I even sometimes will like um, 
any of the potting mixes that are specific for seedlings or like an African violet mix because they like it a little bit more sandy or alpine like. Uh, and you can propagate the cuttings very easily. No rooting hormone is needed uh, and they'll root fairly uh, easily that way. Uh, but I've heard that more of the timeline is usually about six to eight weeks before you get that root development uh, growing. So I have not seen and, and um uh, sorry, Peter. Yeah, I have not seen anything for for a year or that long. I don't know of any shrubs or or trees propagating up to a year to get their roots, uh, mm. but they can be quite a number of weeks or months, depending on mm -hmm. on who it is. So, not to say that that's not true, um, but I believe the nine barks are shorter that way. That, again, yeah, that's six I, to I think eight so too. Mark, yeah, 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 because I think they they're pretty. I, I would think that something like evergreens or something a little bit more. Oh yeah, would take would take longer. But I think these decidu I think for the most part, deciduous shrubs are pretty good. Yeah, and nine bark you again know. is one of those very quick growing shrubs as well. She's mm -hmm. very fast to rejuvenate or regenerate uh, foliage. Mm -hmm. So yeah, mm -hmm. and I have to confess that for a long period of time, I did steer clear of them in my designing and in, even in my own garden um, because of the powdery mildew. But so please don't. Um, avoid them because of that. So I actually, the one I have that I love that's cascading over my larch actually came from our friend, Nancy, who might be listening tonight. Um, <laughs> and so I, you know, on a whim thought, oh, she had a mature one. She'd taken out of another garden. I thought, oh, I'll, I'll give it a shot. And I really love it. And it really suits the spot. And, uh, and that really kind of turned me over to, uh, to their, really their value in the garden. And I know it's a little bit of a nuisance, um, as far as the uh, the powdery mildew, but um, you know, I think no shrubs perfect, right? Except for you know, little quick fire. But anyway, <laughs> um, so yeah, so definitely. Um, and and on that regard, Dan has written in saying, "Is that fungus or mold or whatever it is harmful to pets?" I have cats and a dog that go near these shrubs. Thank you. And the answer is no. Um, no, the powdery mildew spores, they're out there, they're traveling, they're kind of like a reality as plants as, as mosquitoes are a reality to us. Um, they're, it's just there. They, they're not yeah. going to sniff it or eat it and, and suddenly die or, or get sick yeah. or something weird. Like no, that. they're, yeah. it's, it's out there. Yeah. They've probably already, believe it or not, Dan, have uh, come, both of them uh, have come across powdery mildew in one form or another mm -hmm. outside, not knowing mm -hmm. it and yeah, you're, you're yeah. perfectly. Yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely. Um, and you know, I get this question. I see this question a lot, Matt. I think we really need to find a, uh, a vet. I would love to have a vet on. If we have that's a vet a that's idea. a listener or a vet or a gardener who's married to a vet or knows a vet, I really would love to have, um, because I think there's a lot of conversation about what's poisonous, what isn't poisonous, what's harmful to cats, what's harmful to dogs. And, you know, you very, like, you never hear of an animal passing away because they ate eat a plant or getting sick because they ate a plant. So I, I would love, I think there's a lot of wives tales or, or just fear mongering a little bit. Sometimes they think about plants. Um, so, but I could be wrong too. So I would love, that's definitely a shout out um, to try and find someone, right? We've never had that. And I think that's a whole show almost about, Hi. about something like that. So, so thank you very much, Dan, for your question, but Honestly, I, I think it's fine. And there's way worse things I'm sure they're going to um, uh, uh, find on their walks or, <laughs> or water or puddles or anything like that. So, um, so anyway, so yes, it's just a little bit more of a visual nuisance than anything else. Yeah. The, and pa hey, the powdery mildew. 
Yeah, yeah. Oh, more cosmetic for sure. But yeah. uh, just to follow up on your uh, pet show. Uh, yeah, if you're a listener right now and maybe you know of someone or you are a vet uh, and you would like to talk to that or you have information you'd love to share with us, uh, write us here at instudio101 at uh, gmail.com uh, and we'd love to discuss a possible show with you all about uh, what pets can and cannot eat and that toxicity and that big conversation that, like you say, always happens in the garden and the garden centers. Mm-hmm. For sure, for sure. Yeah, for sure. And uh, so uh, who's this? Brian has, and he's like, thank you for clarifying the price of these shrubs. Um, we scared him and he does live in the U.S. And for him, the shrubs go for $8 to $8 to $12 in Arlington, Texas. Um, so anyway, um, yeah, they, depending on where you live. So, you know, we're more in the $20 range, give or take $20, $30 is most part. I mean, like Matt said, a bigger plant will cost you more. Um, it's good to know that, uh, our 20 to $30 Canadian, Canadian versus, uh, American. So it works out to be about the same. So, yeah, so they're not, they definitely are. I, I, would you be fair to like, like a bread and butter plant? Like it's, it's not a focal, like, you know what I mean? It's not a, a, a high priced, um, Oh no, no, it's not like a Japanese maple where you can pay 400 right. Canadian for a nice size or even a, a medium size specimen right it, mm-hmm. no it's not like that at all no 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 that's yeah. great so I'm so glad you guys um you know we have had lots of great questions about them so that's good oh and this is a cool one Shane hello Shane um are nine bark shrubs used for any medicinal purposes I was told that indigenous tribes of Canada and America use parts of the nine bark shrub Pacific nine bark shrub in their traditional medicines as laxatives or other cures for sores or conorrhea. And other people tell me that the shrub could be poisonous to humans. Which one is it? Well, we all have to stop eating shrubs. So first of all, (laughs) so uh, yeah, so I don't know. I I mean, the fact that it was native, I could see that it would be used in, uh, in the native culture, uh, indigenous culture, but I haven't, um, I'm not aware. I've I've heard similar things, Shane, that they they were used uh, by indigenous peoples. Um, I am not a big herbalist or medicinal plant expert by any means, but I think it's probably a lot like uh, other plants that we do use for medicinal purposes. I think one that I've seen that gets a lot of attention lately, and people have actually been asking for, is like the moringa tree. Uh, the whole thing is basically edible, including the roots. Uh, but when you eat too much of the roots, you can get sick or it causes problems. So I think like, I, I mean, even modern medicines, right? If we overdose on these medicines, we're going to take damage. And the tr- same thing rings true with a number of other uh, herbs and plants and things like that. In small quantities, it can do these curative things. Uh, but in over too much or improperly prepared, uh, if you don't prepare it properly or harvest it properly, you can cause damage or get into, uh, like what you were saying, it could be poisonous or toxic to us to a degree for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so yeah, I think it's all about that use and just and that yeah. knowledge. And, yeah. Uh, and I just did a quick Google search and it does look like there is some, uh, the, the actual native version. So not necessarily the cultivars that we're talking about, um, that you can make a tea and, and, uh, and, uh, it can be used as a, as a laxative, et cetera, or to, to treat some other women's issues and stuff like that. So, 
Yeah, I mean, I think I think you, that's safe to say for many of the native plants, um, both as far as how the uh, indigenous people use them, as well as how they are beneficial to wildlife as well. So um, it's saying that the Pacific nine bark is ex- uh, the flowers um, are a perfect where to provide food for the spring azure butterfly larvae and nectar for many insect inclu- insects, including bees, which I could totally see just by that cluster of flowers, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, so I think um, that's just an added bonus, right? Uh, of having that in the garden. Yeah, and and the Pacific nine bark as we bring it up is Physocarpus capitatus uh, versus we're looking at more, um, uh, well, we see a lot of in, in our areas, in our garden centers, uh, Physocarpus opulifolius, um, right? Similar leaf, right. similar looking flower head. Uh, again, some are the similar kind of that seed pod in that leaf, uh, looking to be tending to be more greens than those darker colors. But yeah, okay, all right. So, what is the zone for the Pacific nine bark? Then I'm guessing that it's a different zone. I'm just clicking on it now. Yeah, there we go. There we um, go. We've got as you look at the zone. Uh, Harry has written in, thank you, Joanne and Matthew, for clarifying the powdery mildew. It sounds like a new movie or comic book. And Harry writes in quotes, on this earth, the powdery mildew started to take over. But Mm -hmm. superheroes Joanne Shaw and Matthew attacked the powdery mildew head on. Be gone, shouted Matthew, as Joanne destroyed all yellow nine bark shrubs here on earth. The end. (laughs) Oh, my. We could uh, drop like some uh, graphics for the show, as I said, yeah. garden superheroes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then uh, the Marvel or DC do we fall into? <laughs> yeah. Oh, don't get me started on that. Uh. <laughs> so, as we reach the last 10 minutes of the show, uh, thank you everyone for writing in uh, the great questions. A lot of great questions about nine marks. We hope that you'll give them a try. Uh, and as we kind of move into the last uh, nine or 10 minutes, did we want to talk about any of the other um, cultivars that we we enjoy? We talked about Little Devil, uh, again, about three and a half, three and a half, one of the great uh, purple, purpley brown leafed uh, or dark burgundy, sorry, Little Devil um, dwarf varieties. Um, we talked about Tiny Wine, which is again, three by three-ish. Uh, tiny wine gold is a nice one. Again, a little bit bigger, four by four, uh, but again, very tolerant. Tolerant uh, has some good mildew tolerance as, a, as well. But uh, tiny wine gold has more of uh, that chartreuse to chartreuse green uh, and pink flowering. So it's another good one. One of my favorite yellow ones is lemon candy. Uh, oh, so I haven't heard that three. one either. Lemon candy, huh? Mm. A nice bright uh, gold chartreuse, uh, so not as as chartreusey as like a Chardonnay pearls or a, um, a lime ricky kind of euchre kind of color, but a, just a nice kind of solid gold color. Again, three by three, um, some white to white pink flowers uh, in in late spring, early summer. That's okay. another one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Do you have uh, any of? Well, I have darts gold. Yeah, I have darts gold in my garden right now, the one I mentioned in a pot. So darts gold is fairly common. I think that's one of the first yellow ones. Mm. Um, I'm really intrigued by the ginger wine, which um, is kind of a newer variety. 
Um, so I think that is, uh, really good. And I love the, the copertina, like the ones that are a little bit more on the, on the rusty kind of copper side versus the, the burgundy, the deep burgundy of, of the summer wine, that type of thing. So, uh, so I think that's exciting and, uh, yeah. So, and I think tiny wine having the pink flowers versus many of the others have a white flower. Um, you know, summer wine has white, um, you know, all the yellow ones have a white flower. Um, but, uh, the tiny wine, uh, having a more of a pink flower, I think is kind of neat. It's a light pink. Don't get me wrong. It's not like it's a fuchsia or anything like that, but, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah it's so not like a bright pink hydrangea or anything. <laughs> yeah, it is kind of interesting that there is no variegated, eh? Because I mean, usually that's one of the first things that they do, but uh, no variegated, um, no green and white ones. But that gives you a lot of, you know, there's a lot of color to play with there. And I think you could have a different one in different areas of your garden, and people because they grow differently and they're different shades and they're different sizes that you people wouldn't even necessarily know that they're the same. And I get that a lot too yeah. when I show my the one that's tall and weeping, and then my other one that's like a little bit of a, of a hedge. Um, you know, it's hard to believe that they're the same, that they're related, you know? So I think that is great. Um, yeah. And I think they're a really good thing to mix in. Maybe if you like variegation, if you like having different colors in the garden, um, I think they're also pretty drought tolerant, right? Like there's not, they're not, you're not having to baby them as far as water, certainly not having to fertilize them or anything like that. They're, they're pretty tough. Especially when they're when they're transplanted and they're they're in the garden in the garden center, um, because they tend to be in those smaller and those black plastic pots. Those are one of the ones that we tend to have to water more often. Um, but I find too that uh, you know once you put them in the garden and they're in there, they are tough as nails, super adaptable, uh, and and just easy going. Save a little bit of powdery mildew, but again, that's something we can mitigate. So don't focus on that yeah uh but yes for sure um okay. and then just like we had said and just carl's questions mm-hmm. coming in the last five how big do these plants get i have an area in my yard four by four feet uh, is it enough a space to grow one shrub uh, definitely carl and again most you're going to see anywhere from about two and a half to three feet to six to seven feet on average but we earlier in the show uh, lots of different gold, burgundy, red, uh, or burgundy purple, sorry, uh, dwarf varieties that'll easily fit your space. Three yeah. So yeah, mm-hmm. there's definitely one out there for you, Carl. Yeah. Tiny wine or little devil, um, yeah, uh, Carl are devil. great, are great options for you there. So that's great. So it's been another successful, I'm so glad everybody is, is enjoying our shrub uh, month frame out. So month yes. of July, we are loving our deep dive on shrubs. Uh, next week, we are going to let's go, stop playing with my microphone. Sorry. <laughs> uh, next week, we are going to talk about wajilias, um, which right. is also a really large family of uh, big varieties. Uh, lots of new introductions in the last couple of years. And uh, everybody's probably familiar growing up with, with the big, big uh, wine and not, uh, uh, wajilias that were in a garden uh, that they grew up in. But there's lots of new dwarf ones and different colored ones and repeat blooming ones. So I'm excited that we get to do a deep dive on Nine Barks, aren't you? On wajilias. 
I'm with Julia. Sorry. Yes. But we are finishing our Yeah, we are finishing our nine bars, <laughs> but we're going to go to with Julia's. Uh, so yeah, we'd love to hear uh, your story about an old fashioned with Julia that you're familiar with, because I know there's stories like that out there mm-hmm. and, uh, and definitely, um, but yeah, so nine uh, with Julia's have come a long way as well. So I'm looking forward to that next week. And uh, yeah, it's been it's been a great I'm so excited we got to talk about nine barks and that everybody's enjoying shrubs. We are for the month of August, we're talking flowering trees, right? Small flowering trees. That's right. So we're going to talk flowering trees. Yeah, we're going to start August 2nd with standard trees. So these are the small trees that you're going to find in your garden centers. Uh, They're often grafted. Some aren't. uh, But you get that, you know, three to five foot stalk and then that shrub on top hydrangeas, lilacs, wagelias, for example. And then uh, we're off, but we're going to do, I think, a pre-record for the ninth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then on the 16th, we're going to talk flowering dogwoods. Uh, so there's some great t- uh, talk there about some flowering trees. And then we're going to look at some of the larger flowering trees, some of the bigger crab apples, uh, and, you know, some of the other, you know, quons and cherries, chanticleer pears, some of the bigger flowering trees that you're going to find. And then as we hit the end of August and move towards Labor Day in September or Labor Day here in Canada, uh, we're going to talk your questions, our answers, and we're going to go on a summer free for all. Uh, so get those lawn questions for fall ready. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, we're just going to close out uh, summer, as it were, with uh, just a laid back conversation. What an excellent. Yeah. And I do want everybody to note, um, if you are listening for the first time, um, as Matt mentioned, we have a podcast and we did have um, last July was also shrub month, uh, July of 2020. And so we had four great episodes there, um, native ours, evergreens, pruning shrubs, and of course, another episode on hydrangeas, which you can't have too many uh, episodes on hydrangeas. So, uh, so our first two starting this this year were on hydrangeas, part one and part two. Um, so we want everybody to know that you can go back and listen to those episodes, right? Right. And the hydrangeas one that we did last year, this year we focused on the individual species and the cultivars within there. And then the hydrangeas last, uh, in which actually was in 2018, uh, we talked about like planting and pruning and shaping and like more, we was we talked about some cultivars, but it was oh, okay. a, a bigger focus on planting and et cetera. So okay. those troubleshooting. Excellent. Excellent. And all that will be in our show notes. So um, if you go to your favorite podcast app, you will find all that information there. Um, plus with all the great information that uh, we talked about today, talking about nine bark. So I hope we've got a lot of people that seem pretty keen and we'd love to hear stories, love to share stories next week about uh, the one that you bought or found and put into your garden. We would love that. And as always, we will love photos too. So, uh, right. I agree. You're right. So we look forward to seeing you next Monday, uh, my Monday night at 7 p.m. sharp Eastern Standard Time. And uh, thank you, everyone, for tuning in this evening live to RealityRadio101.com. And we'll uh, talk to you next week. Have a good week, everyone. Bye. Thank you for listening to Down the Garden Path with your hosts, Joanne Shaw and Matthew Dressing, right here on Reality Radio 101.